0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Future Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wells, joined today by co-host Dustin Myers. We are partners at Longitude Branding, a hospitality, branding, and experience design agency. At Future Hospitality, our goal is to interview the brightest minds in the industry, gathering insights, ideas, and inspiration to share with you. Today, we discuss how hoteliers are making more informed investment decisions with Kim Bardoul, partner at The Highland Group, a hotel investment advisory group. We'll also discuss their annual report, called the Boutique Hotel Report, with information and data from thousands of hotels around the U.S. Let's go ahead and jump in. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much. I um, am honored by the opportunity.
0: For sure, and we're honored to have you, and uh, it's the uh, circumstances surrounding us are a little bit odd and and nothing we've ever gone through, so uh, we're just all dealing with that, I'm sure.
1: Yes, we certainly are. It's nice to hear another voice besides my own.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Zoom calls and conference calls have become definitely the norm now, so we're all used to it by now, but yeah, yeah, so uh, Kim, I, I know that we had connected... Uh, A little while ago through LinkedIn, I had actually kind of stumbled upon you uh, while looking at a a speaker list for the Hunter Hotel Investment Conference. And uh, you were going to be speaking on a panel there related to uh, boutique hotel investment. And uh, just kind of piqued my interest. I thought it'd be really good to have you on as a guest and kind of share some of your insights, your experience, and what you guys do at the Highland Group. And so I would love to kind of dive in and just ask you more about your background and and what you're up to. Does that sound good?
1: Yes, sounds good to me.
0: So, yeah. So, I'd love to hear uh, just a little bit more about uh, your background, kind of what got you into this industry, um, where you've come from, and and maybe even a little bit more about the Highland Group as well.
1: Absolutely. So, um, back when I had decided to have a career out of college, um, I had gone into radio sales and it was a lot of fun. Um, it was energetic, and we. it was very corporate, but um, I was new to all of that, and a lot of client relationship work, which I really enjoyed, um, but day after day, it just seemed like that I was spinning around in a wheel, and there wasn't really real meaning to what I was doing, so um, I got an opportunity to learn about the hospitality industry, and specifically how hotels can be positioned and their performance can be weighed to um, help developers determine whether or not they want to continue develop, developing them and um, I at first thought oh this is so fun I can work from home I can travel meet new people but I realized that there was a deeper meaning to my job and it was because it allowed me to help other people um Developers and investors really get emotionally attached to their idea um, and sometimes need a third party to to help them see things, Um, and they're spending a lot of money in those cases, as you well know. Um, So I get an opportunity to advise them uh, to recommend things as well as provide them with the tools they need to show um, lenders um, or partners that the project will work and how well and why or maybe the project won't work um so i've been doing this for 16 years and i really like it
0: awesome so uh you got connected uh with the highland group around what time in that career in your, in your career
1: um actually the highland group was my um my very first day of work in this industry and i've been with them ever since oh, wow. um the highland group was founded by peggy berg um and who happens to be a very good friend and my mentor she's retired, but um, still very much in our field. She works a nonprofit organization for women in our industry to provide them with what they need to advance. And it's called the Castell Project. So she started the Highland Group about 30 years ago. Um, It's still around. It's a small firm of independent contractors. We're still doing the same thing we've always done, uh, feasibility and market studies we give investment advice, we do some impact analysis and portfolio valuation, which I have a feeling is going to be in in great need after this COVID-19 pandemic.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. um, For sure. Yeah,
1: brushing up on my skills there.
0: And you guys also release a uh, a boutique hotel report as well, right?
1: Yes. So about seven years ago, we noticed how the boutique um, segment seemed to be getting a lot of notice and we started tracking the segment Um, and I I decided it was something that needed to be done um, to determine what really was a boutique hotel and kind of define it so that the industry could could see what it was about. Um, And I qualified thousands of hotels on a U.S. hotel census and um, merged in the the franchised hotels as well and, and developed a database that has allowed us to put together this this report that we call the Boutique Hotel Report. So creative, I know, but um, it is what it is. And it's actually been out annually for the past six or so years and has tracked the performance of the boutique, boutique segment um, in, a, in a pretty amazing way. It's kind of exciting. Every year I put the report together and, and it's like, wow, look at this.
0: Yeah, and Dustin um, and I got a chance to uh, have a peek at this year's report. And I was just kind of blown away by how much depth and detail and insight there was in the report. And, and Dustin, I'm sure was too, I know that we were both, we were talking about it um, earlier today. And it was just, it was really insightful. And um, I, you know, it's something that I think we'll probably want access to yearly for sure.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad you have enjoyed it. I hope you can find it useful. Um, One of the things that was really important at the beginning was defining boutiques, as I mentioned, and, If you'd like, I can kind of give you a summary of how we did that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So we determined that, of course, there's the true independently owned and managed boutique hotel. I really think they are experiencing a revival with all the attention that's been paid the past few years by the major franchises and helping people be more aware of what that really is and that it's out there. So these boutique hotels They're very design centric. They're immersed into the local community and they have an identity. Um, They, through different touch points, they can, they can show that identity through F and B or an art artwork or a storyline of some sort. Um, And now they're even grouped into little clusters such as 21 C museum hotels or Virgin hotels or the graduate. Um, So that's what we decided would make up the segment of the independent Boutique hotel and then as the franchise companies came in, they started throwing out different boutique hotels but they were they weren't all the same so we clustered lifestyle hotels and soft brand collection hotel and the lifestyle hotels are they offer a boutique type of stay um, different from a traditional you can see it in, in the design and the architecture and, and things throughout the product, but it's very prescriptive. So you're gonna find um, a Meridian or an Andaz or a Hotel Indigo or a W, um, similar in each market. Although still trendy and boutique. I think there's about 20 of those now, um, franchised lifestyle hotels. Then the soft brand Collections, um, which really took off in 2010 with Marriott's Autograph. Um, they appear independent. They're very unique from one another. Um, but they can do that plug and play with their franchise parent franchise company, right? And and so they actually, you know, can offer loyalty points and, and that sort of thing. And so um, what you'll find there are hotels like the Curio by Hilton, Destination and Unbound by Hyatt, Tribute by Marriott. And I believe there are about 16 of those. Um, out there at the moment.
0: Yeah that was that was probably one of the most uh, one of the more interesting parts of the report was just how you guys seeing how you guys defined each of those because I do think you know as you guys probably found over the years um, there's almost been a little bit of a delusion of or dilution of what that terms those terms mean you know what is a boutique hotel what what does it mean to be a lifestyle hotel or um, and, and I like that term that you guys use of true boutique hotel and how you define that. You get, actually, I think you split it out into three columns and you, you had mm-hmm. you know, the descriptors of each one. So that was really neat. I think a neat part of that.
2: Yeah. I think that's really think it- helpful um, just to set those parameters and so that you know what numbers you're looking at. Um, it, it seems like an industry based on the report that has really grown over the last few years. I'm curious how uh, you said you've been doing this seven years how the report has evolved and um, some of the overarching themes that that you've noticed through this research.
1: Sure. So, well, I have to say prior to the COVID-19 pandemic because who knows now um, where growth is going to be and how fast it's gonna happen. But um, for the third year in a row, when we published this last one that was 2019 data, the boutique hotel supply, those three segments collectively, was the fastest growing segment in the US. Um, the US, all US hotels, they were clipping along at about a steady 2% growth. Um, the upscale and extended stay hotels, upscale class and extended stay hotels, who have historically been the fastest growing segments. Um, developers you know, just really like to, to put these things up and they do really well they were growing at about a 4% to 7% um, rate. But boutique hotels had increased in 2019 at about 11%. And for the past three years had been, had been topping those segments. So, um, you know, you have to say, well, what is it? What is it that's causing this to happen? I really don't think it's, it's a huge uh, surprise. I mean, this type of hotel is so interesting and experiential. Um, it's it's definitely something that can command a premium if it's done right. Um, thoughtfully curated hotel that provides a different stay than what corporate and leisure travelers are expecting. Something that they can go home to their families and say, um, wow, well, you wouldn't believe this place I just stayed in, instead of, oh, yeah, well, I just stayed in the same old hotel. Um, I think it just really has picked up traction. and. Um, one part of our report shows segments of these types of hotels against the traditional hotels in REVPAR, which is um, revenue per available room. And in most cases, they, they have a higher REVPAR and command a higher occupancy and rates.
0: Yeah. Do you think as far as like some of the, you know, the trends that you're seeing there, um, do you think it's like a mixture of like the consumer's needs are changing, like what guests are expecting and what they're wanting is changing? Or do you think it's maybe the, the investment opportunities and being kind of being free from that, that flag or that brand umbrella and ha- having no strings, you know, attached there? Or do you think it's a mixture? Like, what do you think is um, making it ideal for um, or seemingly ideal for investors to get into the more, a boutique and independently owned?
1: Yes, I think it's both. I think that, um, I think consumers are liking the option of having a little different experience when they travel rather than, you know, the typical traditional hotel, which certainly serve their purpose. Um, but when you have, when you can choose one against the other in the same market, you know, it's kind of fun. To, to see what, what's going on here and, and um, experience that. I think also um, what I was just talking about with the growth in new supply, I mean, it's picked up traction, all of the um, larger firms are, are announcing their own boutique brand. And um, I think, as I said, if it's done really well, it can it can get a, a higher average rate than your traditional hotel in the same market just because it's unique and mm-hmm. you know maybe you have a rooftop component or maybe you have a speakeasy or you know you can just wander the halls if you've ever been to the 21c Museum Hotel and, and see artwork that that rotates you know every quarter so um, I think it's just both I think the developers see the um, potential and their performance in our, our uh, boutique hotel report is certainly indicated there. And um, I, think, I think it's just a little of both.
2: Yeah, some really fascinating insights in here. I think anybody in the industry should be um, taking advantage of, of the data that you've put together. One of the things that I noticed um, is just how, how much of an impact F&B can have uh, especially within this subset. Um, I think in one of the subsets that you pulled out, it was as much as 46% of revenue. Um, so when you see that it's the rooftop bar or the restaurant or um, coffee shop, it's, it really can't be an afterthought, or at least it shouldn't be, um, if it's going to greatly impact overall revenue.
1: Absolutely. Um, the thought and the thread of the story that can also run not only through the hotel, but through the F&B, it really adds a lot to the product and, and to the overnight stay. It's like, you know, it, used to hotels having restaurants were, they had a bad rap, right? It was like, oh my gosh, you know, the last thing I want to eat is, is hotel restaurant food but now it seems this, with the creativity especially of the boutique product so much can be done and um in the menu items and the choices and the chef driven effort and i think it becomes a place that locals like to hang out just as much as the overnight guests um, we do have a couple of pro formas in our report where we had the benefit of um some clients contributing collectively um, their high F and B revenue um, from their hotels. And it really does paint a very interesting picture. I think it's a huge asset to put thought into your F and B product, especially with boutique products.
0: Yeah. And one of our, one of our first guests, actually, Anthony Langan, um, he was ta- talking on this topic a little bit too, about the food and beverage playing a, an important role in hotels, and he—I like his analogy of basically like you—if you don't have a food and beverage element, like you basically only have interaction with the guest, you know, during check-in and check-out for like you know maybe five or ten minutes max. Um, right, unless there's if you, a
1: problem. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. But like if you if you can if you have a food and beverage element, whether it's a you know a restaurant or a rooftop bar or a cafe or, or what have you, like you can have interaction with that person for you know an hour, or two hours, you know, whatever. And it just really heightens, like you said, it heightens that guest experience and it adds another um, opportunity to just really delight the customer. And we're actually seeing that, I mean, we've been seeing that a lot growing over, you know, as a trend over the last few years, especially Um, even more recently, like there's, it seems like every single, uh, you know, hotel we're talking to is, has some sort of rooftop bar or a food and beverage component to it. And I think that the data as you guys have found in your report, I think the, you know, the data is kind of the guiding f- force for that. So um, yeah, that's really interesting. What are yes, some and of the what a
1: fun thing for the consumer? I mean, yeah. get, as get as tourists ourselves or as travelers ourselves, we get to be a part of, you know, these experiments that the hotels are doing to try to capture that share and the rooftop um, component. I mean, how fun is that going to a city and, and being able to be up top and have a, a drink and you couldn't that just wasn't popular before and and now we get to be a part of of that trial and error
0: yeah definitely i was i was curious kind of diving into like what the highland group does for your clients and whatnot um you know what are as you guys are studying and, and doing these reports and research for your clients um you know depending on the concept or the type of hotel that they're opening. Uh, what are some of the unique differences or challenges that you guys um, encounter as you're studying the markets based on, you know, these different types of, of segments, segments of hotels, like the lifestyle versus soft branded versus independent? Like, what are some of the differences mm-hmm. you, you go through in that process?
1: Well, there are some challenges, especially with the independent boutique product, because what we typically do is we go into a market and we, you know, analyze the market. We talk to economic development and the tourism board and try to interview some of the competing hotels. Um, And we we also, of course, look into the economic indicators of the market. But um, we rely a lot on hotel performance and we work with Smith Travel Research, which also we are um, very honored that they help us put this report together, this boutique report. But the independent products to benchmark a new independent boutique hotel don't always contribute to the hotel data. So it kind of leaves us with, well, do we get data on the franchise stuff and we benchmark against that? Or do we see if we can get hotel tax occupancy, um, hotel occupancy tax reports and determine how these perform. And and sometimes it's really difficult. Um, And we do it and we do it well, but it just is a deeper, Dive into um, into a study. As far as the lifestyle and soft brand collection, which um, are with the large companies, those aren't as difficult to uh, determine feasibility on. Except for many times there's such brand saturation, because you may be a boutique hotel by Marriott, but there could also be several other Marriott properties there. And um, it's according to the market and to whether or not it's a a hugely corporately traveled or, you know, the point junkie people coming in and they just want to get in one of those hotels and it doesn't matter. It's hard to um, get as much share. The the boutique property that you're evaluating doesn't penetrate the market as strongly because the brand distribution is so high. And um, sometimes we advise if you want to do a boutique hotel, there's so much brand here you might want to go independent and it sets you apart.
0: Wow. So you guys are actually oftentimes like even advising, like they might not even know if they want to do a lifestyle or soft branded hotel out of the gate, but you guys are actually advising them to make that decision.
1: Yes. Oh, wow. Many times
0: we do. Interesting.
2: What would be some of the common mistakes that hotel investors make when they're trying to select a market. Um, I I noticed in the report the breakdown on the primary and secondary and tertiary density of options. And uh, could you speak into that topic?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, in the report, we do have a MSA distribution. It's also very valuable for um, companies that want to kind of heat map where boutique product is developed already and and, where there might be vacancy and sometimes uh developers might want to pick that up and say i want to put something here and it's going to be amazing and it's kind of the mentality of you build it and they will come and um where i under i can understand that um but even the most cleverly curated boutique benefits from the appeal of the surrounding area um and you know you can't you can't always just drop it in this tiny little downtown that you hope is going to suddenly become wonderful um It takes a lot to be a destination boutique hotel. Um, Prior to the COVID-19, we had gotten a lot of business from small um, downtowns that were gentrifying, and they were getting funds to gentrify, and there were restaurants coming in and and art galleries coming in, and in many cases, we would get that phone call, I want to put a boutique hotel here, Um, but maybe there wasn't anything around for for hours um, to get there. So a destination hotel, yes, you can do that, but um, but you also have to realize that a lot more goes into that um, than just your product.
0: What are some of the things that you guys look for in those kind of smaller markets where, like you said, it's maybe a smaller town and they're just wanting to build something maybe the community is proud of or that they can be proud of and support their local community? What are the differences in the and the research that you do there versus, like, like say, in a larger market where there's, like you said, tons of competition?
1: Right. Well, um, those are very challenging as well. And what we find ourselves doing, especially if it's the only hotel coming into an area or one of the few or the best quality one, all of a sudden, um, we do comparable work where we find situations where this has happened before and we can benchmark this hotel's ramp up and success based on similar factors and of course you know you have to use your expertise and your brain while you're doing this but um but in many cases if you can for instance we did one where uh, it was four hours to the most major uh, population center and so we thought okay we're going to we're going to plot out areas that are about four hours from a major population center and um where their similarities are and where our, pro- our clients' similarities are and see if we can, we can figure out how to benchmark this property. And, and it's getting easier because a lot of these places are developing a lot of hotels, but back in the day, it wasn't so, so easy. Right.
0: As far as where you guys are getting your data, you mentioned uh, STR, Smith Travel Research, earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, is there other places you guys kind of turn to to stay up to date with industry trends and data and insights?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We stay try to stay in touch with um, as many organizations as we can. Um, good friends with people at CBRE who also put together reports um, on different segments. Um, I am part of a couple of organizations. Uh, I was with BLLA, which is a really good uh, company to be with. I'm sorry, not a company, a um, membership to be with. Also, um, my local uh, Atlanta Hospitality Alliance, we... Um, work with each other and stay focused on each other's work so that anytime there's some kind of um, atypical thing, we might can help each other. I'm also part of the ISHC, which is the International Society of Hospitality Consultants, and we have a great um, resource through email where we, you know, sometimes we'll get some kind of very challenging work and we'll throw it out there and say, has anybody done this and how how did you do it best? And um, so those kinds of things really help us along.
2: Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, What, what are some trends or segments that you think are going to impact uh, as we look to the future? And I know that we've had just such a pivotal uh, event here as of late, but um, I guess, Based on the twenty twenty report and um just kind of factoring in everything that's gone on, what are some of your guesses as to uh what we're gonna be seeing in the future of the industry as a whole?
1: Okay. Um well if you're if you're asking about the performance of um these segments, I still think I still think that they're pretty solid in the three boutique segments and um I still feel that even though we've got a little bit of a road ahead of us to get back to what we call normal, these products are intriguing and um, that just pull together the essence of, of why we want to get out and be with one another. The soft brand collection was the one in 2000, the 2019 report that appeared to be performing the best. Um, that's their up, upscale class, um, Autograph, Curio, Ascend is are the three that are the most um, developed right now. Over the past 10 years, they've grown by an average of 22% per year. So, I mean, they're just really just on the rise. Um, demand has increased for that segment about 7% per year since 2013. Um, demand was double digits in 2018 and 19. So, um, I think out of the three segments, I see those continuing to, um, to move right along in, in strong performance. Um, I also think that we're going to start seeing some lower priced boutique, soft brand collections. There are some already, but I think that there's going to be more of that because, um, they're just doing really well. They're clustered in in that upper scale price point. And it just only makes sense that 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 should kind of also um, move into a lower price point.
2: Yeah, it seems that the trend is showing that there's steady growth in in people really seeking out unique and thoughtful experiences. Um, So I think that you're right. We can see that across uh, more varied price points, but I think that concept is definitely going to carry through to the future.
1: Yes, absolutely. And just the anticipation of new places to explore and the connectivity and the desire for interesting travel, I think will be a catalyst to move us along and get us comfortable again. And boutique hotels have that. They have that connectivity. They have the interesting piece to it. Um, I think it'll just, it'll, it'll start capturing the attention of, of people that just want to get out and get away and experience something totally different than they have the past several months.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Kim, uh,
0: one of the final questions we like to ask all of our guests is related to, obviously the name of the podcast is future hospitality. And obviously with everything going on right now, it is hard to predict what the future looks like. Um, But do you have any idea or insights into some trends that you think could impact the future as we kind of move forward? Um, You know, things that we should, continue to do that might be more evergreen, um, or just new trends or, or technology or ideas that you might, you think we should all kind of be focusing on?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, as we move past this huge pause in our life, I think whatever type of hotel you're operating or developing, there will need to be a personal and and even an emotional connection with the guest, because I think they're going to, they're going to, Need a little more right now to feel safe and taken care of. Um, Cleanliness and transparency, I think, will be will be big. And showing that things are getting clean somehow, um, you know, making sure that the guest is aware that yes, this this has this is sanitary. Um, I've been listening to a lot of webinars, I'm sure as you guys have, and reading things. And you know, the technology, the no touch rooms, the robotic housekeeping. I mean, it makes sense. Um, whatever it takes that makes a guest feel taken care of, I think will be key Um, and will rise up through a different mentality of staying at a hotel. Um, And to me, that's hospitality, you know, taking care of your guests and what better, better field to do that in than hospitality. Right.
0: Sure. Definitely. Yeah. I think I've, I've heard a, I think this was more directed towards restaurants, but I remember reading an article recently, on that topic of this uh, gentleman thinks that the cleanliness and just the standards of of a restaurant are going to be like a new unique positioning for the future of restaurants. Do you think that something like that is going to be as important? I mean, obviously just general cleanliness for a hotel is important and it has always been, but do you think that's going to be some sort of unique positioning point for a hotel moving forward or what what are your thoughts? It feels
1: like it it feels like there's opportunity there. If you can grab onto a way to, to really exhibit and show that you are um, paying attention to this in the, in the F and B place and in the, in the hotel, I think so. And, you know, think about this. I mean, we were already relying on TripAdvisor and in different reviews and social media. I think there's going to be a lot of scrutiny. um, And people are really going to pay attention to that. So, Hotels and restaurants really need to stay on top of their game and make sure they that they are paying attention.
0: Yeah. One other uh trend I, I just would love your thoughts on too is I've been talking with a number of different colleagues in the industry and whatnot, and and a lot the topic of domestic travel versus international after this pandemic kind of uh you know starts to uh decrease over the next, you know, a few months here. Uh, I've been hearing that a lot of people are predicting that domestic travel is actually going to kind of skyrocket over, you know, maybe even by the end of the year. Um, Do you have any insights or have you put any, have you ever thought about that? Like what you're, if you expect that to happen, you know, people maybe being afraid to hop on a plane, but you know, a road trip might rebound.
1: (laughs) I think so. I think you're exactly right. Um, The drive-in markets I think are going to come around first because you know, you get there the way you, the way you choose to get there in a car and you can always just go back home. Um, it's, it doesn't feel like, it's kind of like just dipping your toe in the water and making sure everything's okay before you take this long flight and go into this foreign country um, where you're not quite sure how things are going to turn out. So definitely, you know, after 9-11, people were afraid to fly. Um, drive-in markets became huge for a little while I mean they definitely came around first Um, so I don't see that that would be much different from now
0: yeah yeah 9-11 forever changed how people travel how you know how easy it is to get on a plane uh, you know just how people's perceptions of of what that, that whole process is like and I think this this situation it might be that black swan event for the the hospitality and hotel industry um, okay. There's going to be things that are f- will forever change as far as, con- you know, traveler expectations um, and perceptions of, you know, what hotels are meant to be and how they're, um, you know, the amenities in them and how things are laid out, the processes, the, you know, everything. Um, so I think there's going to be a, and a lot of that, you know, we might not even see, you know, for a long, it might not come out for the next few months, but like, I think those things are going to stick for sure.
1: I do too. And it'll be interesting to see how many hotels really do come back online. Um, you know, if I know it'll pick back up eventually and, and there's going to be a lot of um, capital available, but I don't know. There may be people that have just decided that this isn't the route they want to take. Maybe there won't be as much supply um, for a little while. And it'll, I think just, it'll change the travel experience. Um, Mm -hmm. for both the hotel, the hoteliers and uh, the traveler for, for a good while.
2: Yeah, I think it, it would be impossible for this not to be a purging and a pruning opportunity in the market. Um, I Mm -hmm. think the businesses that have a strong brand, a strong identity, um, solid leadership are going to be able to come out stronger I think there will be casualties in the industry. Um, but I think that it's an opportunity to uh, just assess what we're doing and why it matters and how we're serving customers. And um, I think that in the long run, it's, uh, it'll be a refining fire for the industry, um, in our industry and in most other industries as well.
1: I agree. And differentiating yourself from the boutique uh, standpoint, I think will, will not only take on a stronger importance, but it can be used in, in so many creative ways to um, promote goodwill and safety. Um, you know, even in hospitals, I mean, the hotels that turned into hospitals, um, as long as people feel safe going back in there and feel like it's clean why not display that as? Look, we gave our property up to help. Um, you know, it, it's a promotion of goodwill, and, and it, there may be opportunity there for for those properties if they if they market it right and, and they're actually authentic about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you know I've I've heard I forget who I've heard it from, but basically, like you know, the how brands show up during times like this in times of crisis and times of, you know, disaster and and whatnot, how they show up to their their guests and their audience is how people will remember them forever. And so, like you just said, like things where people have stepped in and provided for their community or provided for, for, you know, their, their team members and things like that. um, You know, I think it's their opportunity to, to show their true colors through this and, as Dustin mentioned you know I think the brands that have a purpose that have a a mission that have something um to stand for more than just um you know the bottom line so to speak um I think those are going to be the ones that really come through on the on the on the up and up through after all this is said and done
1: I agree with you and I think that's actually a positive and bright thing to look forward to
2: for sure Well, Kim, our final question we always ask, um, we've talked about the future of the hospitality industry as a whole, but we want to hear on a more personal level, um, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to in your future in the hospitality industry?
1: Thank you. Well, when when the work resumes, um, I am looking forward to getting back out there and and doing what I mentioned at the beginning, helping clients um, determine if they're making the right decision. Um, I also think a stronger focus on guiding them, boutique investors and owners through a branding process to develop an identity is necessary, it's essential. Um, It's challenging to prove that showing creativity can create a higher return on investment, but I think um, it's something I'm, I'm excited about looking into a little more. Um, there's just so much share to be taken from the traditional hotel. Um, for the immediate future, just for me, um, I'm learning how to exercise patience. <laughs> um, I'm not rethinking my path, as I've talked to many people that are. You know, They're like, maybe I have time to think about this. Maybe I want to go a different route. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great time to have a little self-evaluation and then decide if this is really what you want to do when you grow up. Um, this is what I want to do when I grow up, um, and I just look forward to adapting to what lies ahead and, and seeing where I can plug in and benefit the most people.
0: Awesome. Well, Kim, it's been a, a huge pleasure and a huge honor to, to speak with you. I'd love to, uh, if you could share how people could get to know more about the Highland Group and about you.
1: Sure, absolutely. Our website is thehighland Group. and you can go on there and learn about um, the work we do and the professionals that we employ and um, take a look at that boutique hotel report and see what you think
0: awesome and do you have any um i mean obviously until further notice are there any sort of events you're attending this this the rest of this year or speaking at in the future
1: well um I'm part of the Hunter uh, Investment Advisory Board, and unfortunately, as you mentioned earlier, that um, panel had to be canceled, as did the whole conference, um, and I was supposed to do Meet the Money in L.A., and it got canceled, so right now, um, I'm just hanging tight. I'm hoping something will come along and, um, and fill those spots. I have a feeling that they will, and um, I look forward to, to getting out there and being a part of it.
0: Well, Kim, thank you so much again for joining us. I know that I really enjoyed the conversation and I encourage anybody who's listening to go check out the Highland Group and see what they're all about and uh, definitely get connected with Kim and her team. And uh, Kim, thank you so much again. Thank you, Kim.
1: Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Dustin.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Future Hospitality Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and episode, please leave us a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Hospitality and on Facebook by searching for Future Hospitality.